So our second reading for today is Luke chapter 24. And I think this is the last chapter of Luke's gospel. So yeah, amazing to see how we've walked through this journey with Jesus all the way towards the cross that he resolutely sets his face towards Jerusalem to submit to God's will, to die on the cross for our sins. And this is after, this is after he's been raised from the dead. And Luke chapter 24 begins. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found a stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some, of, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them 
in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. <laughs> they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us? the scriptures and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon and they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread as they were talking about these things Jesus himself stood among them and said to them peace to you but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? <laughs> they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses." of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And that's the conclusion of the Gospel of Luke. Really interesting verse, um, verse 41. Uh, they disbelieved for joy. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that you're so happy that you can't believe it? It's just too good to be true. And they were marveling, you know, going, what's going on? And at that moment, they're going, what's going on? Jesus has been risen from the dead. What did Jesus say to them? Verse 41, have you anything to eat? <laughs> He's hungry. <laughs> and they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Apparently, Jesus loves fish. He has fish as well in the end of John's gospel. So maybe we'll have fish at the heavenly banquet, sushi. But he had broiled fish, so it's not raw fish. 
And he took it, and it says that he ate it in front of them. <laughs> There's this whole verse at the end of Luke's gospel. Get this: after the resurrection, when he appears to them, you could write anything in there. You could take anything out, but Luke decides to add in this one verse dedicated to Jesus eating fish, yum 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 yum, in front of his disciples. <laughs> What does that mean? I don't know. Maybe it means that you know you get hungry. In heaven, there's food in heaven. That's great news. You know, you can still taste food in heaven. Um, but yeah, it means that Jesus is real. It's Him, and it's Him eating this fish in front of His disciples. But let's start from the beginning again, because it starts with the first day, you know, the symbolic new day of this new age. You know, the the old creation ended with the seventh day, the last day of rest. But after that day comes this new day, this new creation, this new life that comes through Jesus Christ, and that's why Christians today meet on Sundays. That's why we meet on the first day of the week instead of the seventh day, which traditionally what the Jews would meet uh, was on the seventh day. But no, we meet on the first day to symbolize and to memorialize this first day of the resurrection. First day at early dawn, verse one. You know, these people went to the tomb. These women went to the tomb with the spices they had prepared, and these women were verse ten: Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women. All women, 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 women. Now, I I got this wrong uh, actually at Bible study just this week because I thought Mary Magdalene was. You know Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. But no, Mary Magdalene is her own person. So yet another Mary, not Mary the mother of Jesus, and not even. And there's another Mary as well, Mary the mother of James. So you know you have so many Marys, at least four of them in the Gospels. But this particular Mary, and the other Mary, and Joanna, and the other women, were the first people to go to the tomb and the first people to see all these things in verses two to seven. Verse two, they found a stone rolled away. They went in. They did not find Jesus. They were expecting the body. They weren't expecting the stone to be rolled away, but everything they did not expect, they found, and therefore they became witnesses too. Verse four, while they were perplexed, they're going, "What's going on?" Behold, two men, two angels, stood by them in dazzling apparel. And the idea of this two-ness, these two individuals, it's An Old Testament symbolism of two witnesses. You need to authenticate any kind of eyewitness account.、Uh, this was the days before, you know, recording and video recording. You had people giving evidences in court, and you needed two people in order to verify that a particular occurrence actually happened. So there were two angels at this eyewitness sighting. And so, verse five: As they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them. Why do you seek the living among the dead? As if it should have been obvious that you know Jesus is not in this place of death. Why are you seeking for a living person in this tomb, in this place where people are dead are put into this tomb? Jesus obviously won't be here because he is alive. Verse six: He is not here. He has risen. And then he re- they remind them of the words that Jesus said. And by the way, these. This reminders happen again and again. It happens here. It happens in a conversation with the two travelers through Emmaus, and it happens again when Jesus says so at the end when he meets the disciples in、um, in Jerusalem. So three times he reminds them, 
I said this, I said this, I said this. Remember how he told you, verse 6, while he was still in Galilee, that, verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered. He must be delivered, he must be crucified, and he must rise again on the third day. Hmm. Yeah, so yeah, there you go. Um, sorry, I, I was just distracted. I just got a message on WhatsApp. Um, yeah, so he, and it's worth saying that these reminders of Jesus come throughout the gospel to prepare us for the resurrection. That means it shouldn't surprise us when we see Jesus in this way, although it's understandable. You know, everyone is. I think I would be as well. But it's meant also to reassure us beyond as moving past the resurrection that th these things actually did happen. So now for us, the application for us now, as we look back to the empty tomb, we're not looking forward. We're not trying to make sense of it as people who are just piecing the pieces together, but we have all, as it were, the Lego blocks, all the words of Jesus Christ that remind us that these things have actually happened. And we know why they happened because we look back at the words of Jesus Christ. He interprets the meaning of the crucifixion, crucifixion and the resurrection on our behalf. So verse 8, they remembered his words. And so they went to tell the other apostles, the 11 verse 9, and all the rest. But verse 11, these words seemed like an idle tale. They seemed crazy. You know, what, what are you talking about? We don't believe you, in other words. And that's why it says they did not believe them. But even though they didn't believe them, Peter went to check it out himself. Verse 12, Peter rose and ran to the tomb and he stooped because this was a small opening. He had to stoop and he went in and he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling, wondering what was going on. Excuse me. Two things just to point out, all these women and all this marveling, you know, God chose these women and only women to be the first witnesses of the resurrection. And the background to this was that women were not admitted as reliable witnesses in the law court in that day. Meaning if you wanted to cook up this kind of story, if you want to make it as convincing as possible, if you want to turn it into a Hollywood movie, you would not in that day cast women as the lead characters, you know, because people immediately go, ah, oh, I can't believe this. But that's why, you know, this was obviously not something that they made up because if you made it up, you wouldn't write it. No one, no, no Hollywood director, no man would write it in this way. But indeed, the only way in which this could have happened, as unlikely as it was, was that it really did happen in this way. Every single gospel account places these so-called unreliable witnesses as the main witnesses of the Gospels. God chose it that way, that these women would be his reliable witnesses. So that's the one thing about the women. But secondly, about Peter marveling, he marveled also, it says that the women marveled at everything, meaning they were still piecing things together, meaning they themselves were skeptics. If you read this and you go, oh, I wonder what's going on, you're not alone. You know, if you're encountering this um, piece of evidence, you're reading this for the first time and you're marveling, that's actually a good sign. That means you're thinking about things. If you have questions and you're maybe not taking it in wholesale and going, okay, maybe I need to think about this a bit more. That's a fantastic reaction to the gospel. In fact, that's what they had as well. And it brought them eventually to faith 
it brought him eventually to making the kind of faith that was informed, that was, you know, rational, that they didn't just at the spur of the moment go, okay, all right, of course, meaning they weren't gullible. And maybe if you're thinking about this and thinking about it critically with questions and still wondering about this, and I'm not quite so sure, that's a good thing. You're not gullible as well. So let's move on to this encounter with these two people who are very, very skeptical, but still wondering about what's going on. And they'll call um, these two travelers, these two people on the way to Emmaus, Emmaus. And we don't know who they are. One of them is named Cleopas, verse 18. One of them is named Cleopas. We don't know who the other person is. It could be his buddy. It could be his wife. It could be a husband and wife traveling. But as they're walking, Jesus turns up. How, how amazing is that? Of all people to meet, Jesus talks to these two random people walking away from Jerusalem, leaving this, the scene of the crime. And they were talking about the events of the cross. And it says there in verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus appears to them, but Jesus prevents them from seeing him. Why? Why? Because I think Jesus wants them to see him in his word first before they see him in the flesh. There's a lesson there. You know, Jesus wants us to see him clearly, convincingly, but in his words. Remember what the angel said? Remember what he said. Remember what he said. He reveals himself most fully. He's just chosen to do it this way in his word. It's the way in which he grounds truth, not just in what we perceive, but in what he has said. And so he closes our eyes first. He closes their eyes so they can speak to them. But before he speaks to them, he asks them a question. Jesus, this really, really good Bible study leader, you know, you, you're about to do a Bible study and you have prepared all this material, right? And you appear and you, and you are ready to go. But Jesus doesn't just go, blah, you know, everything comes out. But he actually asks them, what are you talking about? This opening question in his Bible study. It's so interesting. He says, verse 17, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And their, their reaction says so much. They haven't yet answered the question. Say, so what are you talking about? Why are you so, so, so excited about this? And they go, they go so sad. Oh, oh, and they're sad. And already that's an answer, that emotional response and that silence. And then one of them, verse 18, turned to Jesus and said, he almost, he, he's so shocked at the question, are you the only person in Jerusalem? Everyone, you know, in Jerusalem at this point in time, there would be 200,000 people considering the Passover. 200,000 people know about what happened. How is it that you're the only in Malaysia, we say the only frog underneath the coconut shell, the only person who doesn't seem to know what everyone is talking about, the only thing that's been viral over the past three days, and you don't know what's going on. How can that be? And it shows their surprise, but also their sadness, because they're talking about a tragedy. They obviously have this vested interest in this person called Jesus Christ, but their hopes were dashed. They were let, let down. And Jesus persists, again, like this really skilled Bible study leader. He doesn't go, aha, of course I know, I'm Jesus. You know this. No, 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 tell me, tell me what things. That's all he says. And he said to them, what things? And so they proceeded to tell him, get this, the gospel. <laughs> because all the elements of the gospel are there, but they tell the gospel in a way such that this good news seems bad. You know, 
it's interesting. It's possible to actually tell the gospel, not the way the gospel should be told. Did you know that? You could get all the facts correct, but you could speak in such a way that, you know, makes it seem like it sounds bad, that it's let you down, that it's, that it's true, but somehow this truth isn't good. And, and there's something about that element of joy and conviction that you yourself believe in this gospel that makes you someone who's able to tell the gospel the way it should be told. And that's not Cleopas. Cleopas, you know, notice everything that he mentions in here. It's so correct and it's so current as well. So it's the, remember, this is the very morning that he's just been raised from the dead. And he starts with Jesus' CV, verse 19, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, a mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, you know, he, he was convinced that Jesus was from God. And all the signs and all his words as well authenticated him as a prophet of God. And verse 20, how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And the key word there is the word our. And our leaders did this. We betrayed him. He was from God, but our leaders rejected him. They crucified him. They condemned him to death. But we, verse 21, we hoped that he was the one to save, to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. So he's retelling verses 1 to 12, you know, about Mary and Mary and all the women who saw the empty tomb. He even has all those facts in front of him, all that evidence that he's retelling to Jesus. <laughs> so some of our women amazed them. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, Peter and John, we know that from John's gospel, not just Peter, but both of them, and found it just as the women had said but him they did not see. And so here is someone who has everything, the whole gospel of Luke right in front of him. He could retell it accurately, factually, but it wasn't good. It, it, was, it wasn't good because, well, understandably, they didn't have Jesus. They didn't realize that it was Jesus. But they had the facts, you know, the evidences and the eyewitness accounts from these women Remember women that I just said, you know, they weren't believed and maybe that's why they didn't believe them. They're just women. And it's so horrible, right? You know, it's facts means it's facts, but you don't believe it because it's coming from persons that you don't want to accept it from. But they have this in front of them, but it makes them all the more sad because they don't believe it, even though it's right in front of them. And that's why, that's why verse 25, Jesus calls them foolish. Oh, you foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now notice this, they're foolish, not because they didn't believe the eyewitness accounts, but they didn't believe all that the Old Testament had been speaking of that were confirmed by the eyewitness accounts. What's Jesus saying? That in order to understand the meaning of the resurrection and the evidences of the resurrection, you need to understand the prophecies of the Old Testament that point forward to the resurrection. You need to understand your Bibles. Hence, he says, all that the prophets had spoken. 
And he says, verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then he does this Bible study with them. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Two things just to mention here. Jesus was not walking around. Jesus was not walking around with a Bible in his hand. So when Jesus explained everything in the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets, he was quoting it from memory and from their memory as well. Don't you remember this? Don't you remember that when Moses said this, when the prophets said that? And therefore, here are people who know their Bibles, but still need to understand the gospel. So they know it inside out. But Jesus has to show them and open their eyes to see how all the gospels are pointing towards one thing. And therefore, this brings me to a second point that all the Gospels and all the Old Testament point forward to the fact that Jesus had to die on the cross. Was it not necessary, verse 26, that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter it into his glory? That means it's this necessity that the one who is to be their ruler, the Christ, the King, God's chosen King, has to be the one who is bearing God's people's suffering. He has to suffer. And you see this pattern of suffering, by the way, again and again, in every king, you know, uh, King David, for instance, you know, he was hunted by Saul for years and years and years. And it was that suffering that almost authenticated him as God's chosen person. And then, you know, and that all the scriptures point forward to a greater king like David, in fact, greater than David, who would then suffer a greater suffering. And therefore, all the things that made them sad, the fact that Jesus was crucified, he was rejected, that you know people didn't believe in him, they, they didn't give him the honor and the glory that it was due, but they rejected him and they spat in his face. All this, rather than diminishing Jesus' authenticity, actually authenticates him as a Christ. That's what the Bible is saying. That's what the Old Testament is saying. And that's what Jesus is saying. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village. They, they still don't know that it's Jesus who's doing this Bible study with them. They just go, aha, uh -huh, oh, I see, I see, I see. And Jesus, he acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So obviously they built this kind of relationship with Jesus, this stranger. And they say, you know, we're concerned for you, you know, or, or rather they maybe even enjoyed his company, enjoyed the Bible study. You know, those of you who lead Bible studies, do your members enjoy your company? Do they enjoy the Bible study? Have you opened up their eyes to see the goodness of God's word and not just giving up facts and facts and facts? Yeah. The way that Cleopas did, you know, Cleopas was trying to do the same Bible study, but he was just not convinced himself and disinterested in Jesus. But now, you know, that relationship has, has been built. You know, it's amazing. They were concerned for him. Uh, and so they say, stay with us. So he went in, verse 29, Jesus, and he stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and gave it to them. And at that point of time, verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from the sight. <laughs> The moment they can recognize as Jesus, he goes away. And then they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? So both was true. You know, there, there was something in Jesus's word as he spoke to them and in God's word as he taught the Bible to them that they realized that 
this really was Jesus and go, of course, of course it was him. And they rose that same hour. This was really quite late. And they went back to Jerusalem. They traveled all this way all day. Now they're going back the other way. And they found the 11, verse 33, and they told them, uh, and, and who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Verse 34 is interesting, has appeared to Simon. So there's a particular appearance that Jesus has in store for Simon that I think has already happened. And it's meant to reassure Simon that, you know, this really is Jesus and almost as if to, for his benefit as well. And also for the benefit of the other 11 that Simon has been kind of like appointed in a way to bring forward the gospel to the next step. And we see that in the book of Acts. So while they are doing these things, the story continues. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you, shalom in Hebrew. So it's a normal greeting, but there is a weightiness to this peace now. Jesus now pronounces and brings to them this peace. But when he says peace, they get frightened. <laughs> Verse 37, they were startled and they frightened. They thought they saw a ghost. They saw, they saw a spirit. But Jesus says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? So this is fear that comes from ignorance, that comes from doubting all the evidences, all the eyewitness accounts from the women, from Peter, from these two people who have just said that they've saw Jesus and now they're seeing Jesus for themselves. And still you can doubt. You know, it shows again, you know, that process, you know, you can have everything, all these evidence right in front of you, but being able to process it, it's not just a cognitive thing. It's something that God needs to give us by way of his peace, by which he opens up our eyes. Remember, he, these two travelers could not see Jesus, but God opens up our eyes. And how does he do that? He does that in his word, in his word. Uh, verse 39, he says, see, see my hands and my feet. It is me, touch me. And a spirit or a ghost does not have flesh and bones. You know, it's talking about that resurrected reality. He's a real person. And it actually reminds us that one day we too will be real persons with real bodies in this real heaven that is to come. He's a foreshadowing of that reality. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. There's this opening of eyes, opening of hearts and minds to see Jesus, but to see Jesus in the scriptures. That's how Jesus opens our hearts to receive the gospel, by understanding that he had to die, he had to rise again, and he now reigns in heaven, and we know that through the gospel, through the gospel. Yeah, there you go. And so now you are witnesses of these things. And he tells them, you know, that uh, he, so this is the third reminder. It is written that Christ, verse 46, should suffer or must suffer. And on the third day, rise from the dead. It's his suffering that enables his resurrection. It's his rejection that enables his exaltation. And the repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. This points forward to the book of Acts, whereby the gospel will go forth, beginning from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. And therefore, 
they are going to be his agents, these witnesses who will bring this good news to all the world. And he says, you are witnesses of these things and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, pointing forward to the giving of the Holy Spirit, this promise, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power on high. In verse 50, he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So the gospel ends with a preview to Acts. You know, there's going to be this gospel that goes forth to the nations. So you've heard it, you understand it. Now it's your job to speak it to others. That's what, that's what it's saying. But it also ends with this picture of Jesus Christ now reigning. That's, that's the idea. That's the picture of them, him parting from them and going up into heaven. That the crucifixion enabled him to be resurrected. That means his rejection authenticates his exaltation. And now he reigns in heaven. And now we are able to speak of his reality through the gospel to one another. Okay, so that's um, Luke chapter 24. Um, let's end with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this picture of Jesus right now. Uh, he is reigning in heaven on your right hand, and he has all power, all authority given to him to rule, to judge, and to save. And the reason we know that, uh, at least according to Luke chapter 24, the reason we know that to be absolutely true right now it's not just the hope that we'll see him one day, though we will with our own eyes, we'll see him face to face. But as we look back to the Gospels and we look back to the whole fulfillment of the Old Testament, we see there the cross. Because he died, he was risen. Because he's rejected, he is now exalted. And because he died and came once to bear our sins, he will come again to judge and to rule and to save his people from our sins. We thank you and we praise you for this reality. Help us to have our eyes open and help us to have our hearts and our mouths open so that we speak the same truth, we bear witness to the same truth to the nations. We pray this and we ask for this in Jesus' glorious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen.